You're listening to Consider the Wildflowers, the podcast, episode one. Episode one! Hey, I'm Shanna Skinmore, and if we are meeting for the first time or the 5,000th time, welcome! I figured before we dive into the stories of others, you might like to know my story. So today, I'm actually handing over the mic to my friend Jana and scooting over to the hot seat. I'll be sharing how I got started in business, lessons I've learned along the journey, wish I could do over moments, and of course, the numbers. But before we dig in, I want to take a minute to share how Consider the Wildflowers, the podcast, came to be. You see, for the past 15 plus years, I've had the honor to hear thousands of stories from entrepreneurs around the world. As a former Fortune 100 financial advisor turned business consultant, I have a unique opportunity to see the real behind the highlight reel. I'm talking profit and loss statements, unpaid taxes, moments of burnout, and those of utter victory. Or as my husband says, the content everybody is wondering, but not many are talking about. I've met amazing people from around the world and have heard some pretty incredible stories and some that may completely shock you. Over the years, I started to see patterns, repeatable steps echoed by many of the most successful entrepreneurs I have met. Now I spend my days coaching one-on-one clients and teaching thousands of students the exact processes and strategies I have seen work time and time again. And while yes, I have a knack for the numbers, my true passion is seeing entrepreneurs build radically fulfilling lives. That's how my signature process of defining enough came to be. You see, I believe there is this beautiful place of enough where ambition and contentment meet. Don't worry, I'll tell you all about that in today's episode. My hope is that hearing my story and the stories of other entrepreneurs will not only inspire and reignite your work, but also give you the courage needed to redefine success and build a life and business on your own terms. Welcome. Hi, Jana. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I know we chat almost every day, but this is going to be so fun. Thanks for joining and helping me share my story. Shanna, I, I'm just like, I don't even have words. I'm, I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited to hear about your story. I've heard bits and pieces of it before. And I have a feeling I'm going to learn some new things today. And I'm just really excited to be in the interviewer seat. I know it's fun to switch roles here Mm -hmm. and have you interview me. So you ready to dive in? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. I think one of my favorite things to learn about people is what they were doing before they started. So I would love to hear a little bit about your life before your business, your background. So let's start with that. Okay. Awesome. So I'll take you back to college days, which funny enough is when Facebook launched. And so it's funny to remember back life before Facebook and social media. That was me Mm -hmm. in college. My roommate in college actually set up my Facebook account and my username and all that's still the exact same. So (laughs) that tells you how much I am a tech person. I probably never would have gotten on Facebook. So without her. So in my college days, I started in college getting a degree in psychology. That's actually, I thought that I was going to be a psychology major and work with children of divorced families. That was my passion. I come from a divorced home. And um, so that's how I started. And then a couple years in, I actually had to take, you know, that core curriculum, some business and accounting classes. And I realized I've always been really good at math, but I loved business and numbers 
just click with my brain. I always joke, my sister and I played bank when we were little nice. instead of house. <laughs> um, and we fought over who got to be the bank teller. We love that so much. So, so I ended up adding a second major, which was business with an emphasis in accounting and finance. So I ended up graduating with a double major in psychology and business. And I also took all the art classes I could to have an art degree as well. And I always joke that I felt like a misfit puzzle. I didn't know how all those pieces came together. And I would always say, if I could just take women to lunch and talk about life and business, could that be my job? Which ironically, pretty much is my job now. So mm -hmm. when I was a senior, I had done a lot of internships while I was in college. I worked for a construction company under their CFO, and I loved that. And then I started working for a financial advising company as a senior in college. And so after I graduated, I just continued on after that internship and became a financial advisor. So I mostly worked with business owners, which was my first step into understanding the life of business owners and entrepreneurship. But I mostly worked on just personal finance. So insurance, investments, helping create budgets, those types of things. I did that for five years. That's actually where I met my husband, Kyle. He also worked in finance and that's where we met. And I just say that's God put us there at the same time so we could meet each other. And he only worked there about a year and he's younger than me. And so we got married and one day I was driving to an appointment and I called Kyle and I said, if you could do anything, what would you do? And he said, I want to design and build airplanes. And so very quickly after that, we both left our jobs, moved to Atlanta, and he went back to school to get his degree in aerospace engineering. So during that move, I was contacted by a private equity company. So I would say like Shark Tank, think Shark Tank, but not Shark Tank, mm -hmm. to work in a corporate finance role for a startup fashion designer. And this was the best stepping stone ever. That was how I moved and transitioned from personal finance into corporate finance. And I worked as their controller. So I was over all finance and operations and I loved it. I was like, this is what I'm meant to do with my life. I loved getting to dig in, help with profitability and pricing and everything that I do now. I ended up working with that company for about a year and a half and I knew this is what I wanted to do, but I didn't have any clue how to do it. And I think most people don't know this, but at the time, I actually was about to go back to school to get my MBA. Uh -huh. I was going to work for a private equity firm as an investment banker, and I was shadowing a bunch of investment bankers. And I remember I was sat down in a meeting with a couple investment bankers, and they said to me, you'll be traveling Monday through Thursday, basically every single week to see clients. Mm -hmm. You'll be home with your family Friday through Sunday. And I knew immediately that's not the life I want. Like That's not... That's a big commitment. Yeah, that's a huge commitment. And so during that time, I, I just felt, I knew, it's like I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know the path to get there. But I also mm -hmm. knew I could not just keep sitting behind a desk every single day. I had worked with a fashion designer for about a year and a half, and we had gotten everything in order. I mean, they had become very profitable. The owners, they were both, they were sisters, were both taking significant salaries at this point. I mean, it had turned around and it was an amazing, amazing opportunity, but I didn't want a job. Does that make sense? I, I clearly, yes. I needed yes. a job. I had to pay our bills, calls in school, but 
I wanted something more. I was ready for the next challenge and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I could not sit behind a desk just crunching spreadsheets. So this is when my art degree comes in and I contacted a really well-known floral designer in Atlanta, Georgia, Amy Osaba. And I said, can I just come shadow you? I grew up in the garden with my grandmother. I always loved floral design. I had done flowers for some friends' weddings. And so I thought maybe I'm supposed to pursue this creative dream. And Amy said, yes, can you come today? (laughs) I was like, "Uh, well, I have a full-time job, so no. But um, we worked it out so I could come shadow her and work with her for a few events. And I actually ended up leaving my job with a fashion designer and basically schlepping buckets for Amy Osaba and Mm -hmm. sweeping floors and anything that I could do to make money to pay our bills. And I knew after about two events that floral design was not my future. It was, I loved it. It was wonderful. But on these drives with Amy, I would start asking her questions. just like I had done for seven years. Hey, how do you figure out your pricing? How do you, why don't you have a breakdown crew? Why is there no money for a breakdown crew? How do you know how, just all these questions. How do you pay yourself? She was a single mom with three boys and she just spilled it all. She's like, Shanna, I just, she needed help. And so I ended up working with Amy over the next year and a half, basically as her controller. We redid all of her pricing, all of her financial forecasts, everything in her business. We reworked from the ground up. And because she had such a big name in the creative community, everybody started reaching out. What's mm-hmm. happening with Amy Osaba? This is awesome. We need Shanna. We need Shanna. And this beautiful thing unfolded this business that I had no idea how to do I mean I just I created it from scratch you know I just made it up as I went along I had no idea how to price myself I mean people would pay me with gift cards and dinner at their house you know and for a year and I just figured it out okay do I want to help with tax returns no do I want to do this do I want to do that so it's this really beautiful journey of just following my curiosity and saying, okay, I want something different. I I see a glimpse here. How does this fit? And over a very long period of time, I ended up launching Skimmore Consulting in 2013. And after eight years in finance, and it just took off from the beginning. So it's been a wonderful dream. One of the things that I love about that story and all of the experiences that you've had is that it really seems like one thing has not only led you to the next, but one thing really prepared you for the next thing. So you have like in college, you have your, your psych degree. And I was a psychology major in college. And I feel like that made me really curious about people. And it made me a really big critical thinker. And those are two things that I think have served me really well in everything that I've done since then. But so true, like the psychology and then the finance and the art and then working in personal finance for a little while. If you, if you had to do school over again, would you have done all of the things like the art and the psychology and the finance? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. Take, That's such a good question. Yeah. Now so it's like, you to graduate? no, I still, you know, I'm such an overachiever over here. Um, I would take like 22 hours and summer school and overachiever, but I graduated on time and I need all of those. I need all those today. Mm -hmm. I mean, that literally is what I do every day. Business therapy, which started with creative entrepreneurs, you know, 
And I love, I still have to draw. I still paint. I have to have that creative outlet. And I, you know, I laugh a little bit now, but I say like spreadsheets are my creativity. Like I want them to have the right font and typography and color coded correctly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They have to be pretty still, you know. I love redoing my squares or my show at website. Mm -hmm. I just, I have to have that creative outlet too. Yeah. And I think it's also a beautiful thing how, slowly you grew into what you're doing now and and it gave you the time to develop all of those skills and gain all of that experience and ultimately make you better at at, like it just really equips you well for what you're doing now oh absolutely and I'm so glad you said that Jana because I think especially now in the world of social media which is you know again as mentioned I did not start in that world I was a slow Mm -hmm. (laughs) learner and still late adopter so I think in the world of social media, business and starting a business seems fast. And I'm so grateful that I had five years in personal finance. I had three years in corporate finance in a year of officially having my own business. You know, I was Mm -hmm. doing, I was self-employed. I was paying my own bills, but I was doing everything people would pay me to do. I mean, if people would ask me to help them price, of course. Will you help me do my tax return? Yes. Will you? I mean, to the degree that I can, you know, without being a CPA. Like, mm-hmm. I would do anything and everything for a year. I did that to figure out what stuck. I would say I threw spaghetti on the wall and then pulled out my offers from there. And so without that first year, even before officially launching, I wouldn't have got my pricing right. I wouldn't have known which offers to provide or how, what niche I wanted to be in. So I'm just grateful that I didn't rush it um, and I had that time. Whereas now I kind of sense this pressure to just launch your business, know exactly how to price, exactly which offers. I think all that is a little bit of trial and error in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. Yeah. So you were working with Amy. You were also serving other creative entrepreneurs around Atlanta. And that was kind of the the start of your business. Yes. So that was in 2012 to 2013. I was working with Amy and she was paying me. So I basically was employed by her as her controller. So that was how we really paid our bills. And I did all the events with her, which again, I'm really grateful for because that helps me relate to my first clients were a lot of people in the wedding industry. So I understood the wedding industry. So that was really helpful for me. So I did all the events with her. And then on the side, I was doing, working with a ton of creatives in the Southeast. I mean, my, I don't really know how, I guess, again, through Amy and meeting all these other wedding professionals, my name really got out there quickly. And I got to work with Emily Newman, who's the founder of Once Wed. She's a client of mine and it's a, it, was a really big wedding publication. So again, I just met these clients and really helped them and they spread my name. So I still today believe that networking, not in a cheesy, gross way, but like truly helping others and making friends is what has grown my business. And so I was again, doing kind of anything and everything. And then after a year of doing that, I officially launched the business in November of 2013. So that's when Skimmore Consulting was officially born. It was officially official. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about those early days of of your business, like your offers, yeah. pricing, rev, just what went well, what didn't go well yeah. when you first started. 
Yeah. So I knew that, again, my husband Kyle was in school, so I needed to be paying the bills. So I knew for our family need was about fifty to $60,000 a year. So I just knew that I had to make that no matter what. And so in that year of building, 2012 to 2013, I worked with Amy. I, I swept floors. I mean, I did everything to pay our bills. And then when I officially launched the business, I had coaching calls. I think I was charging like two fifty an hour, one fifty an hour, mm-hmm. and then I did day sessions. So I called it. I wish I, I could remember like business in a day or something like that. So I had people flying in from all over the country oh, to wow. meet with me in Atlanta. I know. And that was $1,800 to spend the day with me. And I would create a financial plan for them. And I mean, we would just deep dive into pricing. And that was so wonderful. I got to meet so many wonderful people. And then I had a retainer fee. And I believe it was $1,500 a month. And I had my very first client, Tasia Trené of Firefly Events out of New York, sign up for that. And I remember, Jana, getting that first check for 50, I think it was $1,500. I can't quite remember. It was a monthly retainer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, babe, like we are rocking it. Like this is going to work. And I, I know, you know, this part of my story, but luckily from the beginning of my business, I have tracked my time. I used Toggle, T-O-G-G-L, and that saved my marriage, my business, my health, my life. So I was tracking my time and I had promised Tasia all these deliverables for her advisory fee. So that $1,500 and all these deliverables. And I would just work and work and work and work to check them all off the list. And by the time it took me two months to finish what I had told her would take me a month. So I only got paid $1,500 for two months. Mm -hmm. And then when I did it per hour, I was making negative $8 an hour. And I was like, (laughs) clearly even, you know, a finance person did not get her pricing right. So I learned those lessons really early and just tweaked that first year, like 2014, kind of my first full year in business. I had those offers, but I tweaked my pricing as I went, as I learned. And I always tell people track your time Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm a huge advocate of that. I would have never known how much I was making per hour if I had, and that my pricing was completely wrong. (laughs) I needed to promise less for the price point or increase the price. So I learned that really well. So that's what I was doing. I was had advisory clients and I usually worked with them for three to six months and we would get these deliverables in place. It was there. We would basically rebuild their businesses from the ground up. And it was a huge investment. I mean, I had people spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars with me, but we redid everything. And it was I it was amazing the transformations I start started to see. I mean, people who were making zero dollars, negative dollars, making after a year of working with them over a hundred thousand dollars as their salary. I mean, just huge transformations with small, simple tweaks, pricing understanding costs, just looking at the same things I did with Amy. And it just really, Jana just, it took off. And it started getting to the place where I had so many people inquiring that I could not even keep up with demand. And what a beautiful problem, right? Mm-hmm. And also it was getting to the point where I was feeling uncomfortable charging what I was charging. I knew with my with my advisory clients, I knew, you know, if you pay me $30,000 and then I make you $100,000, that's a good deal, right? 
But right. when I started charging three, four, five, six hundred $600 an hour just to do a call with me, it got to the point where I felt so much pressure to change their life in an hour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I have to figure this out. And I'm kind of skipping ahead, fast forward to 2016 when I wrote the blueprint model, but that's how that all came to be. I just rinsed and repeated. I started seeing these success pillars, these, these things that I saw repeated in every single business that did well, getting your pricing right, understanding your costs, having a financial plan in place, like what's your sales goal? These same financial pillars, I call them building blocks now, that you have to have to see profit in your company. And also what I love and why I'm so glad I work for myself, it all came from what type of business do you want? Like what type of life do you want? And that goes directly back to my conversation with that private equity firm and investment banker who told me, you're going to be working four days a week. And I was like, you know what? I just don't think it has to be that way. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how it went. And so for 2014, 2015, I worked one-on-one -on -one with clients and just really grew my audience. I perfected my process. Again, I'm glad I gave myself that time to perfect my process before ever launching my program in 2016 called The Blueprint Model. And that was, so you've been in business about 10 years now? Yeah, so let's see. I started in 2013 officially. Um, so this will be, in November, will be year nine. Year nine. And yeah. tell us a little bit about where you are now and just kind of how things look different from those early yeah. days of business. Yeah. For the first two years, as I kind of mentioned, I just did one-on-one -on -one work and I also launched <laughs> um, a retreat called the first, it was first called Inspire Conferences and then very quickly changed to Blueprint Retreat, now known as Blueprint Summit. So it's had a I lot of iterations. About, about that name change. Inspire. Yeah. Inspire. So yeah, it's funny. I launched. I like, I like the Blueprint model. Thank you. Um, <laughs> So in 2013, I launched my company in November and the exact same day I launched Inspire Conferences. So it was going to mm -hmm. happen in January of 2014. It was an annual planning retreat. So this is something I did back when I worked in personal finance and I loved it. Every single year we would go away with my, like my office and we would talk about our goals for the year. And it was just so cool. And I was like, we need this in the entrepreneurial space. So if we don't have it, I'll just create it. So it was really cool. I, that first year we had... 15 people. It was a small retreat and it was at my favorite place in Asheville, North Carolina, Grove Park Inn. And so it was lovely and beautiful. And it was so, I love hosting people in person. So I did not realize at the time, I did not know about Amber Housley who had Inspire Retreat. Or that's why we changed okay. the name because it was yeah. Inspire Conferences. Inspire. So, but it, we changed it to Blueprint Retreat and held another one in the fall of 2014. So along with working with clients one-on-one, -on -one, I was hosting these in-person workshops for annual planning, which later became an annual planning course. So I was doing all that one-on-one -on -one work, and then I just got so busy, Jana. And again, what a beautiful problem. I just couldn't take on any more clients. And so Kyle, my husband and I sat down and we're like, if we could just read, I'm saying the same things over and over again. I'm teaching the same process if I could just record myself teaching this, then more people could do it and at an easier, more attainable price point for more people. And so that's what we did. Just Kyle and I at our kitchen table, we got a camera, 
We record, I had never taken an online course. The only course I had ever heard of was Marie Forleo's B-School. I did not know anything about the course world. This is in 2016. They, they weren't really even a big thing like they are now. It, oh, like, no. Not a lot of people did online courses. No, it was not a thing. Marie Forleo, B-School, and... I mean, I tend to be out of the loop on those things. So I'm sure a lot more people are doing it, but I didn't know. And then I had gotten to work with Once Wed, who was transitioning to If I Made, and we had written a PDF style course called Pricing for Creative. So that had launched in January of 2016. And then we ended up launching the Blueprint Model, which is a video program. It was 12 weeks originally, now condensed to six weeks. And we did a video-based program. I knew nothing, Jana, nothing about launching a course. I took one course and I've never even, I told somebody yesterday, I was like, I need to email this guy and tell him he literally changed the course of our business. Um, David Titan Garland, he did a course called How to Create Awesome Online Courses or something like that. It was 997, straightforward, create awesome online courses. I was like, great. I want to create an awesome (laughs) online course. It was $997. I watched that. I learned from it. I never even like, I say I was probably his worst student now, but he doesn't even know like that I did awesome with it. I should email him and tell him thank you. But I took that course and we taught ourselves, Kyle and I. Kyle was still in school and he was also working as an aerospace engineer. So he was doing both at the same time and on the sidelines doing all the production for the education side. We launched the Blueprint Model in 2016, July of 2016. I don't think I had an email list when we started. I started an email list at some point. I had 254 people. I remember I wrote down on my email list when I launched the Blueprint Model and we sold 54 courses, which was 108,000 in revenue. Yeah. And now knowing more about online courses, that's, I mean, that's unheard of. Like to do a hundred thousand, a six figure launch, your very first time. And again, that's just the power of word of mouth. Like mm-hmm. I'm so grateful. I would say for my small and mighty community, because if people knew, which I'll share all the backend numbers of my business, as far, as far as marketing stats, it would, we have always outpaced what I hear our industry standards. And like, it is because our community is strong and I'm just so grateful mm-hmm. for that. And, and, and it I was amazing. You, you've also done such an excellent job of finding your niche because you you found those of us who have taken your courses as creative entrepreneurs we get into our work because of the creativity and the art of it and most of us don't have business backgrounds and so we really need someone to come alongside us and help us with the financial side of running a business so you you saw the need yeah and you're you're filling the gaps and I I think that's one of the reasons it's done so well yeah, and I think, th- thank you for saying that. Jana is a student of the Blueprint Model 2019? Yes, spring yes. 2019. I love that so much. So I, I like that you said that because I really truly believe, other than word of mouth and amazing relationships and just wonderful clients and students I'm so blessed with, really, if I've just put my head down and say, how can I serve? How can I serve? Mm-hmm. How can I help? Like, yeah, that's how I create products that truly the number one feedback we get is this changed my life. Like it was life changing and I'm so grateful for that. So that's where we are now. We um, have grown 
primarily the we do a lot of the education side and um, have a personal finance course an annual planning course so how to set goals and do your revenue plans and then the blueprint model and um, now we just launched this year just as a (laughs) spoiler alert but uh, (laughs) our membership which is great so we call it the money club and that's how we continue to serve students ongoing it's my favorite I love it I love everything we do Um, but just to like Finance isn't a one and done. It's continued every single month, learning, growing, pivoting, shifting, changing your pricings, reevaluating. So I wanted to create this space for accountability and it's been really fun. We're two months in so far, but it's been really fun so far. Yeah, it's been great. And then you're also still doing one-on-one services with clients. Some one-on-one, and I would say at this point, it's like 90-10. It's pretty heavily on the education side. My husband joined, officially joined the team in 2021. So he is really taking over all the production, everything on the education side, because after having my daughter, I really only work right now two days a week, three days a week during the school year when we have more childcare. So we just have to be really strategic about my time. And so I'm really grateful we have these products that can scale so that we can serve more people than I could do with my available time. And that's one of the beautiful things about owning a business is you can really shape it to fit absolutely where you are in your current season of life. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit. We've heard about your background and your story and how you started and where you are now. Let's talk a little bit about the numbers. Oh, um, talk about numbers. Yes. yes that's, that's <laughs> the thing. This is your wheelhouse. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with money. I, I guess how it started and how it is now. You know, I, I'm really grateful for my, my life and the journey I've been on. Um, looking back, you know, I didn't realize that my family, you know, my parents did a lot for, we have, they had four children, my sister and I, and then our step siblings and you know, I made more money my first year in finance than than my dad, my stepdad made supporting four kids. And I didn't know how little money we had for most mm-hmm. of my life. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for that because it taught me a lot about honoring every dollar and mm-hmm. being mindful of your money. We didn't, you know, I never got the Adidas slides I wanted. I didn't. <laughs> But I take care of the things that I have. And I, now that we have so much more, I think that has served me really well, my upbringing. The most shocking thing I would say about money and what I've learned is when I worked in personal finance, I watched people who, I worked with a lot of physicians, physicians that owned their own practices. And I saw people, wealth is not about how much money you make, it's how you spend the money you make. And I was amazed. I often said what this person needs more than anything is a spin. I call it a spending plan, not a budget. So they need a a plan for their money. And otherwise we just spend, spend, spend. So I think that's what I've learned is being just really intentional about money. And that's what I try to teach now. Everybody who knows me and those listening, if you don't know, I'm kind of known for defining enough, what is enough Mm -hmm. for you and knowing exactly what you need to pay your personal bills and dream a little bit or dream really big. Who knows? And you'll get to that place and 
if you're intentional with your money and I love entrepreneurship because we can push, you know, we can push for things we want. We can say, oh my goodness, I would love to buy that thing or do this adventure or take time off for a month. I just got an email this morning from a client who's like, Shanna, big win. We're taking the entire month of August off and we built it into our plan and that takes money too to take time off. And, and so I'm like, you can do more than you ever think is possible if you're intentional with your money. And so that's, that's my story with finances coming from a family that didn't have a lot and watching. I mean, I've heard thousands, thousands of stories. And I just want people to know if you are intentional with how you spend your money, you can do so much more. It's not about how much you make. It really truly is about how you spend what you make. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's like the the number one thing that you have learned about money over the years? Oh yeah, that's absolutely okay. the best thing I've learned about money is it's all about how you spend what you make. I think people, you know, it's hard sometimes to say, I, I'm one of those who's like, so how much money do you make? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I have the luxury of getting to ask. I am naturally curious about that. We're so but curious, but that's my job. <laughs> I'm so lucky for 15 years, I've gotten to be like, hey, so how much money do you make? Uh-huh. Um, and it's so great because I have really watched patterns of success, patterns of financial health. And it's truly about those who are the most intentional with how they spend it's not always about how much money you make. And, you know, and I, I would say right now, especially in the social media world, especially in the entrepreneur world, this everybody's throwing around six figures. Now I joke and say it's seven figures. Next, it's mm-hmm. going to be your eight-figure business. That's revenue. That's income. That's right. a vanity metric. Profit is what matters. It's about how much mm-hmm. is left at the end of the day. And it's the same in our personal finances. So I don't want to get on a tangent about that. But intentionality with spending, that's what we focus on in business and personally. Yeah. For you personally, what would you say have been like either mistakes that you've made or biggest struggles that you've had with money? Share a little bit about those. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the first one that comes to mind, and I tell this story in my personal finance class, um, is I worked in finance for five years and I never had a budget. Um, and we were taught, you know, if you take a client to lunch or coffee or they're more likely to buy from you, right? And it's a business mm-hmm. expense. You know, write that off. <laughs> Just write it off. It's fine. So after five years, when Kyle and I both left our jobs and moved to Atlanta, I, we were barely, we, we really weren't even making ends meet. We just weren't. And so Kyle was back in school. We were a one-income family. Before, you know, we were driving nice cars. We were doing, I was going to Starbucks three times a day, <laughs> not recommended for heart health. Um, and I would get the venti iced coffee. I mean, I would have the shakes by the end of the day. And I remember finally sitting down, and this is what I have all of my students do in my personal finance course, and saying, where's our money going? Like, truly, where did our money go? We couldn't pay our bills, Jana. Like, we could not pay our bills. And that we sat down, and I remember calculating it up, and I had spent $500 the previous month. $500 at Starbucks. Oh, goodness. Yep. Mm-hmm. $500. Why, why I was like, Starbucks just gets you. I'm it's sitting like, here with my Starbucks right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious. Dagger to the heart. Uh-huh. And um, dagger to the heart. And we had spent over $1,000 eating out. And this is just business lunches, business coffee. And I was like, mm-hmm. that would have paid our mortgage and mm-hmm. our car payments. 
which fast forward long, I mean, if I think some people have heard this, but we ended up selling both of our cars. Mm -hmm. We bought road bikes and started commuting to work and Kyle to school on bikes in the middle of Atlanta. I mean, thank you, Lord, for your protection because what? (laughs) Kyle's parents were like, uh, this is not okay. And they ended up buying us like a 30 year old car and we're so grateful for that because Kyle's commute I mean it was taking we were riding over an hour each to work and him to school and but that's what we had to and that's why I'm so passionate now business and personally I worked in finance for five years and I never really had my own budget I never sat down and was like how much are we making how much are we spending let's make a plan for our finances I mean isn't that sad that our financial industry, I think, has let us down. Mm-hmm. We focus so much on what insurance do we need to buy and how much do we need to save for retirement? I'm like, well, first of all, how much are you putting on your credit card? And are you overspending at $500 at Starbucks? Mm-hmm. And, you know, my every all my students know now, I think there's this beautiful line of behavioral finance. You know, it can't be strict all the time. Like, what do you love? What do you value? Put your money towards that. But we need to tell our dollars where to go. Like Dave Ramsey says, tell your dollars where to go or you'll wonder where they went. And that was so eye-opening for me. And I'm so grateful for that terrible lesson. But... It taught me so much about business and personally, I can choose how I spend my money and sometimes that's very sad, feels like a big sacrifice, but over time, it doesn't. It leads to more financial power. You know, we choose mm-hmm. what we spend our money on. What do we value? We, we think about each dollar um, and it be- starts becoming really natural. So that would be my biggest lesson learned and best lesson learned too. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think it's, so impactful when you really sit down and pay attention yes. to where your money is going and what you're Absolutely. spending it on. Cause it yeah. can be, it's so easy just to let it go and not realize where it's going. Mindless. Yeah. yeah. I always say awareness is the key to change. And yes. now what we do in our personal finances, which, you know, I know, you know, this Jana and what I teach in my personal finance courses, we actually have a separate account for spending and this has been huge for us. And so it's tied to a debit card essentially resembles how you would spend cash. You know, if you only spent cash, what it would look like. So that's what we do. Every single week we get an allowance over to our spending account. And so we only spend for things like Starbucks or going to Target on our debit card. And which is so great because that, we don't have to think about every single dollar. We just watch that account. And usually we get every Friday. So on Thursdays, it's like, okay, we're find what you can in the pantry tonight. But, you know, that just keeps us on track and we know we're not overspending. I had a friend of mine, Katie, who just went through my personal finance course and she was like, it's so wonderful because I'm not overspending on everyday items. Mm -hmm. So now I can do what I actually want to do, which is take a big trip with my family. And I'm like, that's that's what it's about. Little yeah. sacrifices maybe each week, like one less trip to the coffee shop allows you to do bigger things later on, like that big trip you've been dreaming of. And that's, you know, now we've done this for what, eight or nine years and mm-hmm. our financial, personal finances even look drastically different. So are there things about money that have come more naturally to you or been a little bit easier or has it all kind of been a bit of a learning curve? I would say my brain 
this is just the gift God gave me. My brain works numbers really easily and financial mm-hmm. strategy. So I would say that it's come pretty easily to me, which I'm grateful for. And and I think Kyle always says that's my gift to make finance simple for others. Mm-hmm. I do truly believe that's my gift. I would say, you know, we had to, we were not taught anything about personal finance. And I worked, again, I worked in finance for five years. <laughs> I just think that's right. in personal finance. Isn't that crazy? What a, what a disconnect. <laughs> what a disconnect. I mean, I, was, because, because I wasn't taught, were... yeah. It was about insurance, investments, right. long-term planning yeah, like but that, not but like personal everyday, or... everyday money, everyday yes. money. In fact, I actually got in trouble several times for trying to help clients do a budget because my my direct kind of supervisor would be like, you don't get paid to do that because I wasn't mm-hmm. a fee-based planner. I got paid based on what I sold and commissions. And so I spent too much time with people, I guess. But so that's the part I think has been something I've had to learn and why I so try to teach that now. I know, you know, in the Southeast, Dave Ramsey is pretty big, but, Mm -hmm. and I don't know a lot about his teaching. I will say, I don't think there's something geared towards entrepreneurs in the personal finance space. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm really passionate about growing even still that side of my business. But I had to learn my system. And remember, again, I want to perfect my system before I teach it to others. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So many good things. Over the years, you've experienced a lot of life seasons. I know you and Kyle have moved. You had your daughter last year. How have you seen your business shift in different life seasons? I love this question so much. I I talk a lot about, you know, it's really kind of my signature. What is enough for you? What, what does enough look like? And I'm really passionate about this conversation because – I came from a finance background, a very male-dominated industry as well, and I'm really passionate about having the conversation of you can build a business based on your own terms, and that allows you to shift and pivot during different seasons of life, and for me, I think I've 100% lived that out. You know, I got to a point in 2019 where Kyle wanted to go full-time as an aerospace engineer. He was a contract engineer before. And as you all know, Kyle's a huge part of the business, even before he was officially a huge part of the business. And so it worked when he was a contract engineer because he was at home a lot. And so he could help do the production. And that's a huge part of our business. So in 2019, we just had a big conversation about I want to do, I want to pursue my career full time. And I knew I wanted to slow down. I had at that time, five full-time employees. The business had outgrown my own comfort level and I just needed a break. And so many people know my story in 2020, I closed down the business completely. And while Kyle went full-time in his career, we moved to Minnesota and all this happened in 2019. And then 2020, I took off completely, which, you know, ended up being a blessing in disguise with what happened in 2020. And that's how God used that season of taking time off and honestly used the pandemic when all of our neighbors were mostly high income earning physicians, surgeons, and big time income earners. And they were coming to us with questions about their finances. We're having to shut off our cable. We're having to put our mortgage on forbearance. And, and I, I felt this stirring inside of me again, of like, I, 
I want to help people with their money. I would do it for free. And that is a good sign <laughs> that that's you're, when you know. that's when you know, like, I would do this for free. And I think it's just this wonderful picture of like, I had to stop in order to restart. That's the year I just needed to get healthy. I needed to focus on my health, my mental health, my physical health, and ended up getting pregnant with Madeline. And we had Madeline in March of 2021. And I relaunched the business right before she was born. That's when Jana came aboard and started helping me part-time. I'm so grateful and <laughs> what a roller coaster we've been on. And I just, I think it's so true that your business will be there. You can keep doing these things. And I call the blueprint model, say business built for life, not the other way around. And I think our businesses should serve the life that we want. And for some seasons that's running, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the fall. That's the harvest. That's really bringing it all in. And some seasons it's winter and spring regrowth. And so I'm just grateful that now I can share with others our story. It's not just about more more and more build. I, that term, if you're not growing, you're dying. Like, oh, mm. no, because mm. if I had kept pushing after 2019, if I kept pushing, kept going in 2020, 2020 I, I would have really quit forever. You know, I needed that time off. And so I just want to encourage people that business is a long-term journey and it's a slow step-by-step, day-by-day building. There is no overnight success. The joke, you know, 10-year overnight success that's us, you know, 10 year overnight success. We will, well, that's us. And so it's slow. It's every day. Just love what you do and take time off when you need it. So yeah. Final question for you. How do you find balance? And especially in this day and age where I feel like there's constant messages telling us that we have to do it all and we have to do it all really well. Yeah. How do you find balance within that? What does it look like for you? Yeah, so years ago, I was speaking at an event, and uh, Jess Conley was there, and she said, you help people find the, the place between ambition and contentment, which I call enough, the place of enough. It's where ambition and contentment meet, and I, uh, that's so true for me. I wrestle with ambition. Sometimes I'm like, go get her, let's go, let's make it happen, and other times it's like swinging back towards contentment. And for us, again, financially, it's like, what do we have to have? That's what allows me to take a break when I need it or push hard when I want to push hard. And I don't love the word balance. I think it gets a bad rap. I do really love the word harmony. And so I always kind of give the analogy. I was a gymnast for a lot of my life. I don't know if people know that, but, you know, I think about a gymnast on a balance beam, which I'm pretty sure is what, three and a half, four and a half inches, very thin, kind of fits your foot and that's about it. And it's called a balance beam. But what's happening, if you really look, there's tiny movements of a gymnast's foot in her whole body really, or his whole body the whole time. And that's what I think of balance or what I call harmony. It's a constant readjusting, slight changes to keep yourself upright and just really being in tune with is this a, a life-heavy season? Is this a business-heavy season? What does it look like in this time? And what I've learned now having my daughter is I need to reevaluate more often. <laughs> um, I used to look at this every year, every quarter, but sometimes it's, I mean, we are in our first kind of summer season with Madeline, and so our childcare is different in the summer. 
you know, I have less working hours. So it's like, okay, I can fight against that. Or I can say, what is the, what does it look like in this season? And so that's, that's how I find harmony. And I would say for me, I love the strengths finder test and I'm a very ambitious achiever is my number one strength. And so I often joke, I'm like, what happened to all my ambition? What happened? To- <laughs> I used to be so competitive. Um, but now I feel, you know, I'm so much more at rest. And so just really fighting against what the world tells me I should want and always getting centered on, but what do I want? That's mm-hmm. really helped me personally, professionally, financially find harmony. Yeah. And really incorporating that rhythm of reflecting and yes. assessing where you are and what needs to change and being willing to let go of things that aren't working for you. I yeah. feel like you're often. really good at that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> as often as you need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you really helped me this year, you know, cause it's new mom, like figuring out a big life change. You made the comment earlier this year. I know you remember what I'm going to say when you said, what are the things that make me feel like me? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's the question I need to ask because a lot of those, you know, in the season with a newborn went away and I had to re sit down and be like, what makes me feel like me? Cause I have to make sure that's in my time mm-hmm. where I'm going to feel off. Yeah. I've also heard, I think it was a counselor who said this, that big life changes can usually take around 18 months for us to fully adjust to them, which is wild. That's such a, a long amount of time. But I think yeah. once we realize that that's such a normal thing, <laughs> yeah. it, it gives us permission to give, us, to give ourselves grace. And I think I just took like a out. giant deep breath. Thank you, <laughs> Jenna, because I'm only on month 15. So You're almost three 18. more to go. <laughs> yes. It's been the that most wonderful like yeah. baby or a new yep. relationship or moving right. or a big career change. Like it, yeah. it just takes us as people time yep. to really adjust and, and this culture of yeah. instant gratification and things having to happen quickly and businesses having to be six figures in their first year. Like it, that's yeah. just not, I don't yeah. think that's realistic. Perfection all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So, yeah. That's, thanks. <laughs> it's been yeah. the best, most wonderful, <laughs> but yeah, it's like everything has to find its harm. Like we got to re come back to center, you know, like a mm-hmm. spinning top and like, where do we need to shift and adjust? And you just have to learn that with time. That's so mm-hmm. true. That mm-hmm. takes time. And people, I think the world tells us it should happen fast. At least yeah. I feel that way. So thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all of that, Shanna. Yeah. This is so fun. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Are you ready for a few rapid fire questions to finish us out? I would love that. Okay. What is something that you'd be embarrassed if people knew about you? <laughs> this is such a funny question. Okay, I thought about this before because, yay, I knew the questions. But what I wanted to share is one of my very first clients, my retainer clients, so big, big money, right, mm-hmm. asked for a different payment plan. And so I was like, okay, yeah. So anyways, I found out six months after I completed work with her that I completely forgot to send one invoice. And so I was out thousands of dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. And at that point, I just didn't feel it was okay to resend that. And so I think I I always tell it where it's like, yeah, that was so embarrassing. And, you know, at that time, for sure. I mean, anytime losing $1,000 is a big deal. But I'm glad that that, in some ways, I'm glad it happened. So I can be like, see, 
not perfect over here by any means. And also put your processes in place. They're there for a mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to be super accommodating, which is good, but because I changed my system, I messed up. So yeah, I have, I've done multiple times of just tiny little things like that that cost you money mm-hmm. and it happens, you know, but yeah, mm-hmm. I would probably, I wouldn't be super embarrassed, but <laughs> any regrets or things that you wish that you could do ever? Hmm. That's a hard one. I think I would hold it all lighter, especially mm-hmm. in the, I was talking to somebody yesterday and it was like the first few years of business, everything feels, or the first year, I mean, it's different probably for everyone, but everything is hopeful. It's exciting. It's new. You have stars in your eyes. You're dreaming Mm -hmm. big. And then hard things happen. You get, you know, knocked down by a few things, things, people hurt your feelings or hard things happen. And I, I think sometimes you have to go through those things. And I don't want to say I want to have tougher skin, but I wish that I could have held it lighter and just, Mm. I have a, folder in my email now it's called my sunshine folder and I anytime I get an encouraging note I just move it over to the sunshine folder because there are hard days and I'm actually a very sensitive person and a recovering people pleaser and so I think we all let the hard things sit I think that's psychologically true we Mm -hmm. we hold on to hard like when somebody says something negative what is it 20 times more you have to say 20 positive things to erase one Mm -hmm. negative or something. I don't know. You probably know that better than me, but yeah. So all that to say, I wish I had held it lighter and just loved what I did instead of getting, there were some things I got bitter on for a long time. And I just, I wish I had not let those things get to me so much. Mm -hmm. What would you say has been your biggest win or your biggest pinch me moment? There's so many wonderful things that happen. One that comes to mind is a pinch me moment is... This was, I think, 2018. I read a book called Chasing Slow by Erin Lochner. I mm-hmm. love it. And I reached out to Erin. I emailed her and said, Erin, will you come and speak at our retreat, which is now Blueprint Summit. So it's an in-person event for our students. So it's big now, 50, 100, 125, I think, has been our biggest. Uh, we keep it around 100. But I said, Erin, will you come and speak? And I said, this is how much I can offer you, which I knew was drastically lower than her speaking rate. And she said, yes. And she came and she was wonderful and she's just a joy. And now we're like text friends and yeah, and she's such a kindred spirit. And so it was a pinch me moment for sure, because I just, you know, didn't know, I had no idea if she would come or not, but I reached out and she did. And now she's my friend. So that's such That's an encouragement favorite. to me to just not be afraid to ask. Absolutely. Just, just ask. Just, just ask. Yeah. Just ask. And and I think too, I came from a world in finance where they taught you a lot about networking, but networking in the sense of what can you, you know, you're just trying to get right. clients. Like what can right. you get out of people? And I just push back from that. Uh, mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. And I think genuinely wanting to build relationships, connecting with people. I mean, that's such a beautiful thing about entrepreneurship. There are kindred spirits all over the world. And yeah, not being afraid to just say hello. And I said, Erin, your book was so impactful for me. And I texted her the other day and I was like, I was just reading back through your book and it's amazing. So Chasing Slow, Erin Lochner. 
Y'all go get it. (laughs) (laughs) This is a fun one. What are you working on right now? Or um, do you have a resource that you'd love to share? Okay, I'm going to answer both. Well, first, our big project right now, of course, is the podcast. So Mm -hmm. that's been – and why I bring that up is – I have been inconsistent with content marketing is my main form of marketing. Many of you know I'm not on social media and content marketing is how I want to build. I feel it's the most authentic way to build the marketing in my brand. And I never could figure that out. I never could get it right. Like blogging, YouTubing, and podcasting, I never thought I would do because, you know, a million and one podcasts. And I never listened to podcasts, to be honest. I just never did. But after I had Madeline... I realized, and when I'm driving her, our commute to her childcare, which is my sister-in-law, is 30 minutes both ways, I would listen to podcasts. And so I was like, this is the best. So find a marketing tool that fits for you. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it will Mm -hmm. always be an uphill battle. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I'm excited about the podcast. And then the resource I want to share, of course, favorite, Toggle, T-O-G-G-L, track your time. It literally saved save my business mm-hmm. all right very last question if you could tell yourself anything on day one of your business what would you say I think I would tell myself for sure I, I don't think I would tell myself that slow growth is still good growth like to go at your own pace mm-hmm. and I don't know if other people feel this way but I don't I don't like to be hurried I don't like to be hurried ever. <laughs> I don't like when people drive too close to my tail. I don't like when I'm rushed on the way to church or somewhere. I don't like to be in a hurry. And in business, I wish I could just say, go at your own pace. You, you're not going to get left behind. It's okay. Yeah. I feel like we need more people saying that. Oh, for sure. I don't know. I have to constantly re- give myself permission to do that also. Yeah. Yeah. Such, I love that. Much wisdom. Well, Shanna, thank you so much for sharing your story. I did learn some new things about you and talking to us about money and things you learned. And I don't know, it's just always such a blessing to sit down with you and and chat, have a conversation. Same. I'm so grateful for you, Jana. Thank you for hanging out today. Of course. Hey, Wildflower, you just finished the very first episode of Consider the Wildflowers, the podcast. It's an absolute joy to share my story with you, and I hope one day I get to hear yours. Head over to considerthewildflowerspodcast.com for show notes, resource links, and learn how we can stay in touch. Because yeah, I don't do social media. (laughs) Today I want to leave you with a blessing from Luke 12. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God cares for the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he care for you? I'll see you next time.